Hello. What? Hello. How are you? Hey, I am great. I mentioned in a previous episode that I had applied to George Fox University, their master's in counseling program, and I was waiting on pins and needles to see if I had gotten in after my entrance interview. And I'm pleased to say I got in. I just got the word a couple of days ago. I'm so excited. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. How are you? I am doing pretty well, actually. The kids are off of school this week, and so in just a day or two, we are going to be going up to St. Louis. In St. Louis, the art museum is free and the zoo is free, and so the only thing we are going to be paying for is going to the top of the arch, which we've never done, and uh, we are very excited about all of those things. Oh, for sure. I lived just on the other side of the river from St. Louis in a little town called Collinsville, Illinois, where they have the largest ketchup bottle in the world. And I did a lot of the St. Louis activities while I lived there, and I loved them. And the St. Louis Zoo is absolutely amazing, or at least it was 20 years ago. I am super excited. I have not been to a good zoo in quite some time. And I love art museums, so I can't wait to spend a day in an art museum. That is always a good time. No doubt. Happy spring break. Exactly. But uh, I'm not calling to just talk about art museums. I I had a question for you. Okay. Uh, You finished recently a project that I wanted to hear more about and dig into a little bit because I'm super interested in the topic. I have done something similar in my life at uh, certain points. And that is, you recently did a whole project that culminated in having developed your own rule of life. And I'm really interested in that. Yeah, this was a fun project. And it's fun that you're asking me about this now. It's actually something I did last term It's probably been a number of months now since I actually completed it. And it's nice to come back to this rule and realize which of these I'm currently living out or working on and others that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really good. I need to have that in my pocket for, you know, this moment or for this thing coming up. So I'm I'm really happy to spend some time with this again, because I think it's going to be helpful to me. Awesome. Well, and whatever, it's been five, six months interlude. I am very curious to hear where you're at with it now, six months later. But let's hold off on that because that seems like a follow-up question. First of all, I would imagine not everybody knows specifically what we mean when we talk about a rule of life. So let's start there. What is a rule of life? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is this goes back to old monastic traditions, and the monastic traditions encouraged people to create their own rule of life. So it was unique to the individual, but the idea was, here's what you need to be doing day in and day out as your rule of what keeps you healthy, what keeps you engaged in the community. Is that how you understand it, or... Did I misunderstand that? And there is actually a monastic tradition of one corporate rule of life. 
So I would say it's actually somewhere slightly in the middle. My sense of it is that each tradition within the monastic orders has developed their own. So, for example, the, the earliest that I'm aware of is the rule of St. Benedict, which he wrote not just for himself, but for all of the various houses over which he ruled. And the rule of St. Benedict is the guiding document for Benedictine monks up to today. Now, having a copy of this doesn't mean I've actually read it. Uh, So I am actually in my head thinking, why have I not read this? I literally was able to reach over and pull it off the bookshelf when we were just talking, and it's embarrassing to me. So it's going on my must-read while I'm on vacation list because it's like less than 100 pages. It's this little tiny book. but So I think it's often been a rule a superior in a monastic order has written for the monks or nuns in that order. That's my sense of it, though I... Also, I'm not an expert on this, so I could be just as wrong as you are. Yeah. Yeah. So at the very least, by the time I was instructed to do it, a lot of reflection over the centuries have gone on about the appropriate use of a rule of life. And I think it's a great practice to go through however you approach it, to identify for yourself what are the things that if I do these things consistently, I will be living into a healthy expression of myself or my spirituality or however you've, whatever. If I do these things, I will be healthy. And you could put a variety of different things on your own personal rule of life. But I was instructed to do this a little bit differently and to be much more forward-looking, much more almost giving permission to live a certain way. So it it couldn't be anything that was very checklisty. Did I do this thing today or did I not? It had to be much more broad, much more focused on a way of living or a way of engaging life than anything that would boil down to a checklist. That's so interesting. I was introduced to this idea a number of years ago, and now I'm looking back on my own efforts in this direction, which I think I've referred to in previous episodes. They were very checklisty, and looking back on it, I think that speaks far more to who I am slash was than what those who were teaching me were all about. I think I was still deeply fixated on behavior instead of kind of guiding principles, which is what I think it sounds like you're describing. Yeah. My professor was um, actually, she assigned us a chapter out of a book to read as inspiration and as kind of a guiding light for this. And it's a book that you wouldn't necessarily assume would be the guiding principle for creating a rule of life. It's Martin Schleski's book, The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty. And Martin Schleski is a violin maker, and he does his work by hand and has a deep appreciation for uh, wood and the resonance of sound and all of the different things that go into making a beautiful violin. And the chapter that we were assigned 
really spoke to this process of allowing the intonations of the wood to guide the formation of that violin. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of just appreciation of the beauty of sound and the way that it works and the way that the wood needed to be shaped in order to bring out its full potential and all of these things that was a very freeing metaphor for crafting a rule of life. And so we, as the beginning stages of this, we were assigned to just kind of keep like a little mental journal. Mine was on a notepad in my phone of just, this is what happens in my life and this is how it affects me. So I, I get really excited when these things happen or I feel tempted to sin in these moments, or I really struggle with this, or I am really good at that. And, you know, put a good and bad list, put it all together and just notice, notice yourself, and then use this image of this violin maker to craft a rule of life in light of all that. Mm, I love that as a starting point. I think that there is something about discipleship in general and our own pathway of discipleship in particular in which it is really important for us to think as craftsmen rather than as machinists. Mm, Yes. Oh, that's a really good analogy, keeping it in the same world, right? There's something different about a uh, expertly handcrafted item versus a machine-crafted item. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, we are trying to make little cookie-cutter expressions, really stamping God onto people, and if we're honest, stamping our perspective of God and perhaps the way he's impacted us onto other people. And I love this idea that you just took the time to notice yourself to see what needed to be crafted there, to see what kind of wood you are. I guess I'm curious then, what observations did you notice about yourself that ultimately impacted the form or content of your rule of life? Yeah, I think that in the end, to answer that question would be to unpack each of the 10 rules that made it onto my rule of life. Because behind each rule is its own set of observations. In fact, that's the process that I personally went through was to take a lot of these observations and just start putting category headings to them. Something that I could, you know, okay, these all kind of fit in this bucket. All right, so if I put all those in a bucket, what kind of comes to the surface? And out of that, I crafted these different rules. So we would have to like dissect one, two, five, eight, ten of all of these rules in order for me to answer that question. So then I have lots of other format questions, but why don't you, would you be willing to pick one and sort of walk me through that process? Because that would be really interesting. Yeah, I want to preface all of this by saying this is a little bit vulnerable to go through this rule of life. This is 
this is deeply me and the unique ways that I've been created or bent or whatever. And some of them are aspirational things that I know I need to live into to be the fullest, healthiest parts of me. For instance, I need to seek silence and nature. That's rule number 10 on here. That needs to be part of how I live life. I need to seek silence and nature. And I know that that has come up before on the podcast, so that's not going to be new to our listeners. But I am healthier when I have spent time in the woods, gone for a hike, gone camping, whatever it is, that matters to me. But some of them are just an acknowledgement of my own personal giftings. And if I could spend more time using my giftings, how much better would my life be, but also how much better would the world be? Because theoretically, I'm doing what I am uniquely gifted and equipped to do. So one of those is uh, rule number five, maximize time spent listening and going deep with another person. Maximize time listening and going deep with another person. I need to cultivate opportunities to do that. Going into counseling is one way, but it's not the only way. This podcast is one way of cultivating that. Engaging with friends, family, uh, people at church, having these conversations, sitting down for coffee or drink of your choice to sit down and go deep and, and review how life is going. I need to make sure I prioritize that in an otherwise busy and chaotic schedule. Otherwise, I will spend less time doing what I was gifted to do and more time on distractions. That's amazing. You know, you said a few moments ago that you would note a variety of things about yourself and start to sort of categorize them and see how they fit together. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, exactly. So what was that process like for that one particular item? What did you notice about yourself? This has been something that I've been leaning into throughout my time in seminary. Just an acknowledgement that no matter what profession I'm in, and no matter where I find myself in life, the way I can minister to others is to listen redemptively. That's how I wrote it in a recent reflection paper. Yeah, that's, I think that is my spiritual gift, listening redemptively. And if I can find an opportunity, I mean, there are so many opportunities to do that day in and day out. If there's anything that is lacking in our world today, it's people having an opportunity to be heard, to have their story known and affirmed and cared for in the midst of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to know that they have a place where they can turn and be heard. And I feel like I've been gifted to listen redemptively. And I I observe this because at work, my favorite part of the day is when I get to sit in the office one-on-one with somebody and talk about how their job is going and how they're processing all of the trauma at taking 911 calls. It's my favorite way to connect with my kids. I love to take them on a date or sit down on the couch and have long conversations. 
It's how I like to connect with you. It's how I like to connect with our listeners. I like to sit and have a good, solid conversation and replicate that on social media as best we can. But these are all the various aspects. Like I find myself excited knowing that I have done something. This is such a hard thing to say and and it not be prideful, but the feedback I get from people after having done this is, wow, you listen really well. And when you hear that time and time and time again, you start to realize, I, I don't know what it is I'm doing that is different than other people, but there must be something different because people seem to acknowledge that I am uniquely gifted this way. So great, I'll live into that. And it, and it just rocks my world anytime I get to do it. So those are some of the many pieces that kind of come together, came together for that. Well, and that's interesting. There's two categories of pieces I hear you talking about. One is what you take joy in doing. And the other is feedback on what you do well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think what was your, you used two categories for your rule of life. Some things are aspirational and others are. Acknowledging other... how I've been created and just living into that. Hmm. Yes, the things you want to live into. When we're landing on what choices we want to make in terms of what we want to live into, when we're acknowledging how we've been created, I think you are landing on a really valuable overlap of two important indicators right there. You know, the takeaway for me here is not that I should or should not be a redemptive listener, but that there is something incredibly telling when I get joy out of something that others benefit from me doing. I Mm. I just, I think that's a really good indicator that that's a good fit. That is a square peg in a square hole right there. Um, Yeah, yeah. I like that you used square peg and square hole because that that seems to fit for me like what you're talking about. Once that's been locked in, and if you had said round peg and a round hole, that can still spin. But square mm. peg and a square hole, that is locked in. It is solid. It is not going anywhere. It is not going to twist its way out. It is exactly where it needs to be. Exactly. And And so the other thing that I thought was interesting – that you said as you were describing that is that you want to lean into these things. I I don't know if you said the busyness or the craziness or the chaos of of everyday life, but it it sounds like the, uh, another thing that you noticed about yourself or about life is that this needed to be written down because it could easily get superseded. By yes. less important or less fulfilling things. Am I hearing that right? You are. And that actually really fits with my rule number six, which is always have a plan. And I, I put some notes for myself. Always have a plan for connecting with God, relationships, finances, learning, and playing. I realize hmm. that when I finally come to a moment of free time, When I have some unscheduled time, I kind of look around and go, huh, I don't know what to do with myself. And so I might, 
I don't know. I, the time just evaporates. I might flip through my phone mm. forever. I might play some dumb game on my phone. I might watch some inane TV. I might do a variety of things that have just no value. And honestly, if I sat down and prioritized my life, they wouldn't make the list. So if I always have a plan for how I'm going to engage with God, and know that, okay, when it comes to Bible study, I'm not just like, oh, where am I going to read today? Is it going to be Mark chapter four, or am I going to be in Jeremiah chapter 32? Like if I have a plan, then I know when I sit down, I know exactly what I need to do. And I don't have to fail to do the plan because I failed to plan. Um, so I need a plan for connecting with God, with connecting for connecting with people, with how I'm going to spend my money, how I'm going to continue learning. And and honestly, I forget to do this. I forget to budget in play. So I need to have a plan for how am I going to play? And that's another one of my rules. Take time to play. This fits in the aspirational category for me. I need to play more. I'm so hyper-focused on my to-do list that I fail to have some fun. So, hmm. but yeah, you're exactly right. Putting a rule of life together for me was a way of having a plan, a meta plan, a big plan for how to engage in life well. That's awesome. So then what was your, if this is a, a plan to have a plan, what was your intent for trying to sort of keep this in front of yourself? You're going to write dozens of things in seminary. I mean, if you were to guess how many papers you wrote in seminary how many would you guess oh my gosh 50 plus okay so yeah let's say 50 of those 50 this is in some ways in a unique category because you want it to daily influence your life which requires you to have a plan for how to make sure your plan isn't just a wish <laughs> So, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, did you think about that at all? Like, what what was your take on that? Well, I I view it almost like a letter to myself. I don't know if anybody like had to do that in middle school that supposedly you were going to open for yourself, like when you're 25 or something. This is a letter to myself. This is who you want to be. Don't lose sight of it. And when I come back to it, and when I read it. I'm like, yes, that is who I want to be. That is how I want to live. And I can look at this and go, okay, I'm I'm doing that in certain areas and I'm I'm still aspiring to to that in other areas. And it gets me thinking once again, okay, how do I shape the various facets of my life to conform to this vision? This letter that I've written to myself that I can come back to multiple times to say don't forget, this is who you want to be. That's helpful to me. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I was I was caught by, I mean, I was teasing you when you emailed it to me that you emailed me four copies of it. I, I think <laughs> the way you set it up, even in its length and style and whatever, all the, the way it's laid out on the page, it seems to me all of that is equally intentional to make it something you can carry around or something that you can, 
I mean, post somewhere. What did you do with it? Yeah, the formatting was something I did after writing my paper. But you're right, I did put it on a Word document uh, with four squares of you know the information. And the intent and what I did with it was to print it and laminate it and then cut the four squares out. And now I have a pocket size version that I can carry with me and often have carried with me to remind myself you know, how to stay on track. So I, I put one in my car. I have one at my desk. I had one that was in my pocket every day and it fell out somewhere. So blessings to whoever picked that up. But um, yeah, I printed it to keep with me and in a laminated form. In fact, the form that I am referencing as I talk to you is one of those laminated pages. Nice. So which let's use that as our spring forward here moment. So you're six months into having been referring to this on a fairly frequent basis. I mean, you have put it everywhere in your life. So what are your six months later reflections? What observations do you have either about the content or the format or about the experience of seeking to live by a rule of life? What are your reflections about those things? Yeah, I have not referenced it as much as my little spiel might have conveyed. I've made the opportunity for myself to reference it, but I haven't always done it as much. So actually revisiting it for the purposes of this conversation reminds me of some of the things that I am living into and I'm super excited by. One of them, uh, rule number four, have at least one way that I serve in someone else's vision. And Mm. I mean, that's just a way of reminding me that it's not all about the ministry that I want to do or the ministry that I think God's gifted me to do or whatever. It's not just my vision, whatever. Every vision needs worker bees, right? Every People need to gather around a vision and work it out. And the way I'm doing that right now is to teach Sunday school at my church for fourth through sixth graders. And that's the vision of the church. That's They, they need that done, and I'm happy to do it. So I'm excited that I have an opportunity to you know, check a box, even though this isn't a checklist, but I am doing that. I'm living into that. But as I reread it, I think, huh, take time to play. I have a mixed record. I'm really looking forward to the summer when I don't have school and I'm between degrees and I'm going to be watching a lot of baseball and hanging out with my family and going on vacation with you guys. And I have lots of play scheduled, but in the interim, I haven't done a lot of playing. So, all right, I need to work on that. So I like that it exists. I like that I can come back to it. I like that it is pushing me to make changes and make choices in life. I could very easily spend my Sunday not teaching in the children's ministry because quite frankly, I have a lot of things to do in a week, but it's spiritually healthy for me to do it. And I have chosen to do it as a result. And that's in large part due to the work that went into making this rule of life. That's amazing. So I want to turn the conversation to 
the listeners as well as myself. And, and I have two questions that I'm curious to ask you. First of all, this is a fair amount of work. What makes the amount of work you put into writing a rule of life worth it? Sell me in the audience on doing this. It's good introspective work. It's good work to realize the good and the bad, right? I know that I overwork myself. It's mildly embarrassing to acknowledge the depth to which that is true. But it's also really affirming to look at the fact that I know that I've been gifted to live redemptively, or sorry, to listen redemptively. And so when I put a full, complete, honest picture of myself on the page and start working with that material, it is largely very affirming and very exciting, even on those things that I'm not so great at. It gives me hope and a vision for how I could grow in that area. So one, I would say everybody who goes through this process is in for a treat to just learn some of the things that are most true about them and how they can live into them. But even more than that, I think it's a way of connecting with God and realizing that my life was created, shaped, formed, loved, cared for by God. And to have this kind of ongoing self-examination conversation with God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's a great give and take prayer that it just shapes you in a unique way. So I think the process itself is wonderful, let alone the growth potential for having this list and knowing, therefore, how to live. That's awesome. And so if you have someone who's interested in beginning this process, and I know you've kind of hit this in in certain ways as we've been talking, but what are their first steps? Take notes. Take notes. Use a phone app like I did, or you know, just write write them in a notebook that you keep in your pocket, or however it, it makes sense to you. Take notes. What do people praise you on? What do people get irritated with you about? What do your friends think about you? What do you think about you? What does God say is true about you? How have you been gifted? How do you tend to sin? And what causes, like, what leads up to those sins? What are you wrestling with before you commit that sin? Just observe. Spend a few weeks observing. Don't rush the process. And when you feel like that list is complete, start playing with it in any way that makes sense to you. Just play with it. See what comes to the surface and then write some rules to address whatever comes up. Man, that's good. And and can I ask a fairly personal question? Like this whole thing has been quite personal, but a, I was going to say like just now. Me. Sure. Yeah. All of them. Uh, <laughs> but you mentioned that this is a really good conversation to be having with God, right? You You talked about the value of this being a prayerful process. Many people wrestle with, as I often have myself, wrestle with, okay, that's great, but like, how do I actually do that? What does it look like to actually, practically 
have a conversation with God about this stuff. Can you pull back the curtain a little bit and and share a little bit about what that was like? What does it look like to pray through this material or through this process? What I'm about to describe is not your typical description of prayer. Oftentimes, we think of prayer as things that I say to God, or sitting and listening to God if we've gone to the next level or whatever. But I think there is another way to pray that is hugely impactful, and this is the type of prayer that I was referring to. You brought up in a previous episode the verse, to be in the light as he is in the light, and to live kind of exposed before God. And that is an ongoing kind of in-the-background acknowledgement as you observe yourself you are recognizing, I, I just saw something about myself, and I'm going to do so in the light of God's searing gaze of love. And I'm going mm. to recognize that he sees it too, and he absolutely loves me. Whether it was a good thing, a bad thing, a, a neutral thing, living in the light, living exposed before God as you reflect on this is almost a posture of prayer rather than the content of a prayer. And so I'm not suggesting any particular words, though words are just fine, but it's that posture of living open before God that I think invites this ongoing conversation with him that may or may not contain words. Hmm, I think that's good. It's that type of prayer which is a lifelong pursuit and lifelong frustration for me, is a journey, right? It's being aware that God is there is sometimes both the hardest and the easiest type of praying. (laughs) Right. Not always for the same reasons. Yes. That's great. Well, hey, thanks for being willing to be really uh, transparent and vulnerable and Normally, we try to keep the conversation sort of balanced between the two of us, but I really just wanted to dig in on this. I I told you when we were first talking about this as a topic that I really wanted to hear your thoughts about this and was using the fact that we have a podcast as an excuse to just hear what's going on in this. And so uh, thank you for being willing to share. There's a lot that you shared, and it is complicated to go that deep into your own story and into something that is very current in your own spiritual journey. Uh, So thank you for being willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think I'm happy to do it. It it does feel very exposed, though. (laughs) Yeah, I I would imagine. And I'm, I'm very grateful for your willingness to do that. That's so cool. So, yeah. Well, I would love to invite the audience as well to participate. I, more than anybody, understand the vulnerability of sharing some of these things. And so I don't necessarily want to make that our discussion prompt, but I'm also not opposed to it. If you've found some rules that you need to live into and you want to share what those rules are and how you arrived at that decision, I think it would help the rest of us continue to form these rules for ourselves. So feel free to share that. But more than that, I would love to just hear your thoughts on the process of developing a rule of life and the potential benefits or the benefits that you yourself have experienced if you've done this. 
I would love to hear what you think about the rule of life. So you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, look for On the Phone with Josh. We would love to hear from you and continue a conversation. As I said, I love to listen to people's stories. So please share them. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to hear what everybody says. All right, Josh from Missouri, I've been on the hot seat, and now it's time to put you on the hot seat. What have you been thinking about? Oh, man. Well, do you know who Bill Johnson is from Bethel? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Bill Johnson is the crazy Christian that makes the rest of us wish we were a little crazier. (laughs) That's, yes. Good. Nice way to put that. You know... And I say this with huge respect and admiration for him. I've read a number of his books. I've watched lots of his sermons. I really appreciate him. And he is a very helpful corrective for me in a lot of different ways. But I got to hear him speak this week in a Q&A session with uh, local pastors. And so one of the questions that he answered I just thought his answer was brilliant and profound and wonderful, and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, And it was his answer to, how do you handle your critics? Because if any pastor in America has critics, it is Bill Johnson. Sure. He is willing to try some things and go some places and ends up doing some things that seem kooky to the rest of us. So he ends up with some critics. And so when this particular pastor said, hey, how how do you handle that? When people, he said, well, I don't listen a lot, but to be honest, there's always three, four, five people who are very prominent, who always have a lot of critical things to say about me that kind of are the top of the list of people criticizing me. And he said, so I try to take communion every day. I don't always succeed because like I traveled here this week and I forgot my stuff at home, but I try Mm. to take communion every day. And every time I take communion, before I take it, I pray for the people on that list. I pray for the success of their ministry I pray for the well-being of their family. I pray for the salvation of their kids and their grandkids. I pray for them in any way I can think of. And after that, I'm pretty okay. (laughs) That's so good. I was just like, I'm like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) You are officially better than me. And this... This speaks to what comes across to me whenever I've heard Bill Johnson speak. There is a depth to him and a spiritual maturity that I deeply appreciate that comes across in moments like that. Oh, okay. So you pray almost every single day for the people who are exceptionally rude, mean, or cruel to you. Okay. First of all, Jesus said something about that. So congratulations. You're the only person who's ever followed that verse correctly. (laughs) Um, And and second of all, just wow. Uh, So I was, I don't know that I have a huge set of thoughts about that, but I was really inspired. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I think this illustrates a profound lesson that we have learned time and time again, and I continue to need to hear. I can disagree with something that somebody does or a theological stance that they take or whatever, and I can still learn from them. Absolutely. And still, can, can we just acknowledge them all to be to be in the kingdom and it's okay? Right. Like, I theologically disagree with Bill Johnson on lots of stuff. And that's okay. And I'm sure he sleeps fine at night knowing that <laughs> some random guy in Springfield doesn't agree with everything he says. Right, right. But it's tough to walk away from that, from him and not hear that he clearly loves Jesus. Yeah. And if we've got that in common, it seems like I have a lot to learn. Yeah. But what about you? I I called and sort of started grilling you a little bit about something, but what else have you been thinking about this week? Yeah, I just finished up a book called Created Equal, How the Bible Broke with Ancient Political Thought, written by Joshua Berman. And His book is fascinating, 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 fascinating. He kind of goes each chapter of the book and takes another theme or perspective from the Bible, from the Old Testament rather, and shows how it differs from the other ancient Near Eastern contemporaries and how that exposes the, the fact that in large part, The nation of Israel was designed to be a very egalitarian society. Now, I actually found his book very compelling in a lot of ways, but I also found it to focus particularly on the passages that he wanted it to focus on to the exclusion of others. And so I don't know that it's a very balanced book, but if you take it in concert with many, many other books and theologies, it brings balance to the whole. So I really appreciated it. But one of the things that he pointed out was that in ancient times, basically that the, the, the covenant with Israel mirrors ancient Hittite treaties between a suzerain and a vassal. So a, a, a stronger king and a weaker kingdom. And the, the stronger king makes a treaty with a weaker kingdom by which if you follow the guidelines in this treaty, I will obligate myself to protect you, provide for you, do these various things. But you have to do these things in fulfillment of that covenant. And so these treaties, in large part, conform to what you see in the ancient covenant between God and Israel. But what is different and fascinating is that those ancient treaties were signed between the vassal king and the suzerain king. Two kings made a covenant. In the Bible, Yahweh makes a covenant with a whole people. Every single person in the community is a co-signer on this covenant. Hmm. And so now every single person is responsible for upholding that covenant and is in direct relationship with the king who issued that covenant and receives directly the benefits of living in that covenant. 
So it automatically puts all people under that covenant under one bucket. We're all co-signers. That was a really fascinating perspective for me. And it makes me want to reread the Pentateuch in light of that. That's really interesting. It adds a lot of depth to our stock evangelical phrase, my personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, but um, so much of the covenant could not be fulfilled by an individual. It was a whole nation altogether. So it's, yes, every individual is responsible for it, but we're every individual within a society that is corporately responsible for it. Hmm. Good point. That's fascinating. What an interesting book. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Like I said, it's a little bit selective, but really, really insightful in the things that it points out. Nice. Well, I, I think that brings us officially to our moment where we have a Witch Josh question. Dun, and dun, this dun. Week's... Yes, thank you. So, yes, music was needed. I keep emailing the editor asking for there to be a theme music for this segment, but it the I, editor I doesn't care. Yes, that's correct. So this week's question is, uh, which Josh drinks at least two cups of coffee every single day? And that is me, Josh from Oregon. And I have to stand up and say, I did not put anything related to coffee on my rule of life. I will continue to drink two cups of coffee a day so long as my my intestines and my jitters don't get the better of me. But so long as it is tolerable in my body, I will do this. I love the taste of coffee. I love the experience of having a coffee cup in my hand. I find it very soothing and relaxing. So... Yes, I drink two cups of coffee every day. I try to cut myself off at two, but there's times I go back for a third, but I often regret it. I get a little jittery, but yes, I'm a two cup of coffee kind of guy. That's awesome. I do not drink coffee because I wake up jittery with zero cups of coffee. So the <laughs> first cup of coffee is not a good thing for me, but that's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for a great conversation. I really appreciate this. It's been awesome. Are we on for next week? We sure are. I can't wait. All right. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.